Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Not forsake me, oh my darling, on this our wedding day. Do not forsake me, oh my darling, wait, wait along. I do not know what fate awaits me. I only know I must be brave And I must face a man who hates me Or lie a coward A craven coward Or lie a coward in my grave Wow. I sang that at the 9 o'clock service. There was no applause. (laughs) Well, the man who originally sang that song uh, was Tex Ritter, and he sang it in 1952. And as you know, this singer is our own Steve Kirby. Steve, by the way, you may not have known this, he grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, where I lived. And he was home visiting his family uh, this past Christmas, and he came to visit me um, a few weeks after the operation on my leg. He also brought me a Christmas present. He brought me um, a set of crayons and a coloring book. (laughs) And a prayer. And Hilda and I were honored by his visit. Well, the song that Steve just sang is the theme song to the movie High Noon, back in 1952. In this movie, Gary Cooper won an Oscar for his role as the sheriff of a western town who has just gotten married to a pacifist Quaker played by Grace Kelly. And as they're getting ready to leave town on their honeymoon, the sheriff gets the news that three outlaws have just been released from prison and they're coming to town to gun down the sheriff. So the sheriff tries to get his friends to help him out including a deputy played by a very young Lloyd Bridges, the dad of Jeff Bridges, and we're going to come back to Lloyd Bridges in just a moment. But all of the sheriff's friends run away. Grace Kelly tries to persuade her husband to leave town with her and to start a new life off somewhere else. But the sheriff refuses to abandon the people of the town. And finally, Grace I mean, uh, uh, Gary Cooper faces the outlaws in the middle of the street at high noon. Well, I share this movie with you because it is an exact parallel to the gospel that MJ just read. If you read the gospel of Luke all the way through, you discover that the first nine chapters are just pulsating with excitement. I mean, Jesus, he preaches his first sermon, Uh, the crowds love him, he's healing people, he's working miracles, 
There's this mood of high hope that infects everyone. And the people are thinking that finally, their prayers for a conquering Messiah have been answered. And then, right here in chapter 9, everything changes. Verse 51 says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that's the turning point. When Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, the mood darkens, and the people get confused, and the disciples get afraid. And in today's gospel, some Pharisees say to Jesus, don't go. Herod's out to kill you. So let's keep in mind that Jesus doesn't have to go. No one is forcing him. And in fact, his disciples try to persuade him not to go. Just the same way that Grace tries to persuade Gary to leave town, not go back to town. Grace wants to find some nice homestead where they can settle down. And Jesus could do that too. Jesus could go back up to Nazareth and just tone down his message a little bit so that in his old age he could be sitting in a rocking chair on the porch uh, teaching about doing unto others. Jesus, the wise old prophet. So we have to face the fact that Jesus is traveling this road and not being driven. He's not being maneuvered into some corner from where, from, from where there's no escape. Um, he's not trying to salvage a situation that's gotten out of control. He's got the reins of the matter in his own steady hands. He chooses the high noon of facing, setting his face to go to Jerusalem. And then in today's gospel, he's standing on the Mount of Olives and he's looking over the valley to the city of Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Killers of prophets, stoners of the messengers of God. Pretty blunt, pretty harsh and pretty accurate, and a little bit too close to the truth for me. Because I may not do any physical stoning, but I mentally stoned somebody just this past week in Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I mean, there was only one person in front of me, and I had to get going quickly because I was about the Lord's work. And then the person in front of me ordered three dozen donuts, spent about 30 seconds selecting each donut, and then he asked for five orders of something called the Great One, which is a 24-ounce cup of coffee with a different combination of sugar, cream, and milk for each one. And then he ordered something called Box O Joe, which is a huge container of coffee. And there I was, I mean, the devout Christian with important things to do. And I had become the victim of a terrible persecution. I mean, so, I mean, what was my reaction? I mean, did I tap him on the shoulder and say, God bless you, brother. That's so wonderful that you're buying coffee and donuts for your friends. Can I help you carry? Actually, I mean, I was busy 
explaining to God that as the victim, it was fair for me to demand that my persecutor be stoned. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a silly example, but you and I know perfectly well that there are a lot more serious ones. Ones that call us to admit that we too are citizens of Jerusalem. I mean, because after all, I am closer to destructive road rage than I sometimes care to admit. And maybe you join me in that. Sometimes it's more well nigh impossible for me to forgive than I care to admit. And maybe you join me in that. Sometimes, maybe all the time, we are modern-day Lloyd Bridges, not staying to stand with the sheriff, which is just another way of saying that we are modern-day St. Peter's on the eve of the crucifixion, with our low anthropology on full display when the chips are down. It's a scary thing to acknowledge. And as every person who's been in alcoholics knows, it's also a life-giving thing to acknowledge. People in AA wear a pin that says, I didn't quit, I surrendered. Because the moment in which we are utterly stuck is the moment that Jesus goes into action. And that action is illustrated on the very next thing that Jesus says in today's gospel. He says, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? How often have I desired not to stone you, not to seek retaliation, not even to seek justice, but to gather you? Jesus says to his persecutors and to Lloyd Bridges and to St. Peter and to you and me, I'm yearning to forgive you and to restore you and to give you the same peace and security and love that a young chick has in the enfolding safety of its mother's wings. And it's in Jerusalem itself on a hill in the shape of a skull that Jesus delivers on this promise. The God who has been eagerly waiting for you when you walked into this church this morning knows full well how much you are yearning for forgiveness and healing and peace. In Ukraine, in Washington, D.C., in your families, in your heart, and he invites you and me to hear Jesus right now saying something like this, I have chosen to take on my own shoulders on the cross the full weight of every single place where you are stuck. I have chosen the high noon of the cross, and I have done this so my, I may enfold you in the safety of my arms. That, my sisters and brothers, is the message that I have received here at Calvary St. George's Church these past six and a half years. 
in a way that I have never received before. I've been ordained a priest in the Episcopal Church for 46 years, and I have served in seven churches in that time, and God's grace has been real in all of them. But Calvary St. George's Church is something else entirely. I mean, first of all, I have never had friendships with clergy colleagues the way I have had here, with Jacob, Ben, Nancy, Janet, and now Molly Jane, along with seminarians like Jay Gardner and Landon Moore and Bowie Snodgrass and now Chloe Edmondson. It just doesn't get any better. And I say that with some real authority, having been around the church. I've never heard, or I've never really had the privilege of hearing the preaching of the good news the way it is preached here. And I, I mean, I know when I get to the pearly gates, St. Peter's going to say that it's okay uh, for me to come in because he's got three points uh, to tell me. <laughs> Apart from my baptism day and my wedding day, one of the most blessed days of my life happened in July of 2005 on a roller coaster in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I sat on that roller coaster beside a young seminarian named Jacob Smith. And as we were hurtling around corners, and we said that it would be wonderful if sometime in the future we could do ministry together. Let me tell you, Jacob's influence on my life and faith is far deeper than even he knows. The only thing really better than Jacob is his wife, Melina. <laughs> and I haven't even touched on Chelsea and Camel. I mean, just incredible. I hope you know that People like these two just do not grow on trees. Chelsea and Camel are literally one in a million. I mean, Chelsea is like an Episcopal Pied Piper. Think of the children here who know that Jesus loves him through Chelsea's ministry. And let me also say that in my 46 ordained years in seven churches, I have never known an organist choir master like Camel Boutros. Yes, Camel's skills are extraordinary, but the real reason I weep so often when Camel and the choir play and sing is the faith that Camel has in our God. Dear brother. And he's not even here. <laughs> and then there are so many more for whom I'm so thankful to have worked with. Scott and Mari and Matt and Chris and lots of others. I'm so thankful for all of you uh, giving Hilda and me the gift of February 15, 2019. I mean, just imagine that I stood right over there, not exactly a spring chicken, getting hitched to my best friend. I'm glad. 
I am glad that Hilda and I uh, will continue to count Calvary St. George's as our spiritual home. As a matter of fact, she probably won't like me to say this, but I do love my wife, but on Sunday mornings when I go off to my new church, she stays home to tune in Calvary St. George's to worship with all of you. <laughs> And also, as Ben said a couple of months ago, we're not just disappearing. Uh, we'll be down from time to time with all, with, for all sorts of things. So I want to close now with a description of what I have learned at Calvary St. George's Church. And it goes back to the collect about the glory of God being mercy. It's all about the richness of God's mercy. That is what I have learned here. The mercy proclaimed by Jesus on the cross the mercy of his enfolding arms, like the wings of a mother hen. And so this comes from a wonderful pastor and author. It's this. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy dwell, abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him but the very thing that he loves the most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. And so it means that on that day in heaven, when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked, at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had held. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.